Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Welcome to the latest episode of the WAM Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer McNally, CEO of the American Society of Safety Professionals. Joining us today is Wells Bullard, CEO of Bullard, a leading manufacturer of personal protective equipment and systems. The company is widely known for inventing the hard hat and, in fact, has been celebrating the 100th anniversary of the hard hat throughout 2019. Wells, welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited for today's discussion, Wells, and part of it is the recognition and respect of Bullard as the fifth, you as the fifth-generation CEO of a family-owned company. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey in becoming the CEO of a major manufacturing firm? <laughs> Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, I am the fifth generation. So, my great-great-grandfather founded Bullard in 1898. So, uh, it's been a long standing. It's 121 years old. And growing up, uh, my father was actually the, the president and CEO when I was growing up. But um, I was raised by my parents to neither be entitled to work at Bullard nor to be expected to work at Bullard. And I think that was one of the most important things they could have done for me as a child growing up because I choose to be at Bullard and I chose this path and I'm really, really thrilled uh, to be able to be the leader of Bullard at this point and to be the fifth generation carrying and stewarding this company into the future. So my personal journey, I'd say, is I grew up very proud of the company. Um, I grew up very uh, interested in what we did, how we made things. It was always really fun as a kid to visit the factory and see hard hats being made, and especially uh, when they were being customized, when they were getting people's logos on them. I always loved that part of the plant. And I also really always loved the quality lab where we, you know, tried to destroy the, the product uh, to make sure that they met and exceeded quality testing. So growing up, I was very proud of the company, but I didn't, you know, again, I wasn't entitled to work at Bullard and I wasn't expected to. And so I always, um, my parents always wanted me to keep my options as open as possible. And so they just wanted me to be as educated as possible and get all the experiences that I could possibly get and that I wanted. And but I always had an interest in Bullard. I had an interest in our people. I had an interest in our customers and why we did it, right, our mission to protect people. I always really, really, really was drawn to that. But I went on and I went to college and I studied international relations and I traveled abroad. I studied abroad and I worked abroad in Argentina and I studied abroad in Chile. And then I went and I worked for an industrial distributor for a few years, for three years after college and then went to get my MBA, get my business degree. And it was really while I was working and really when I was just finishing up college is when I just thought, you know what, I really I really want to go work for Bullard. And so I need to go out in the world and see if this kind of operational world is really for me. Um, because I've always said, I need to be right for Bullard and Bullard needs to be right for me. I'm not just barging in here uh, as the fifth generation and expecting that I fit in or that I'm the right fit for Bullard. But when I went and I worked and then I got my MBA, the summer between my first and second year in business school, I worked on the factory floor. I was a first line supervisor in our head protection line and we had a very busy summer. We were working six days a week, you know, 10, 11 hour days. And it was 
the busiest and probably most tired I'd ever been, and I loved it. I loved our people. I loved our processes. I loved how I could have an impact on trying to make what we did that day better and that I could show up the next day and learn from my mistakes the day before and apply those right away. And I loved that we were working on making products that were going to help people and protect people in hazardous environments. So that's really kind of how I got to Bullets. That was the summer between my first and second year of business school, and I decided, yeah, I'm definitely, this is definitely what I want to do. And so I came back to the business after graduation, and I was afforded the opportunity to work in many different areas, starting in manufacturing engineering and then going into marketing. Then I got to take over product development, business development, and then I became CEO just two years ago. Wow, that's inspiring. And, you know, I've had the opportunity throughout my career to interact with a lot of women leaders in manufacturing, specifically in a number of CEOs, and the importance of having the ability to understand what's going on across operations, across production, across the entire enterprise is, I think, what truly makes great leaders. And one of the things I know about the company, and I would be interested in its influence in your leadership style, is Bullard was in the business of safety before safety was really required, and that wanting to keep workers safe is, as you've just described, part of your DNA and part of the company DNA. So talk to me a little bit about how the mission and vision for Bullard has influenced your leadership as the CEO. Absolutely. So, yes, just as you stated, we've been making safety equipment since before safety was ever required. Uh, so my great-grandfather invented the first industrial hard hat 100 years ago in, in 1919. And that was before OSHA didn't come into law until December of 1970. So there's many years there where there was no requirement for wearing hard hats, but we were making them. And that really, you, you can feel that throughout our organization. So our vision is to advance human safety to enable long, healthy, productive lives through innovative solutions. And it all started 100 years ago with my great-grandfather. So his father had founded the company. And we were founded, as I said, in 1898. And we were founded as a supplier and a distributor to the gold and copper mines in California and Nevada. We were supplying a carbide metal lamps and acetylene to fuel those lamps and other supplies to these miners. So then fast forward, my great-grandfather, the son of the founder, was in World War I, and he was in the cavalry in France, and he was wearing one of those metal doughboy helmets that you see in the movies, and he was in the trenches, and he came back after the war, and he said to his father, the miners at that point were wearing just baseball caps, you know, soft canvas caps to keep debris off their face, nothing to absorb any sort of impact. And he said, you know, the hazards that the miners we sell to face are very similar to the hazards that I was facing in the trenches in the Army, and yet they're not being protected uh, adequately, he didn't think. But he also thought about the industrial worker, and he thought about the miners, and they couldn't afford a metal helmet. That was really expensive at the time, and it was also over-engineered for what they needed because um, they didn't need to protect, fortunately, from ballistics. And so my great-grandfather was an inventor and a very creative guy, and he took two canvas caps and he put leather on them, and he basically what we called a hard-boiled. The process was a steaming process. 
and he hard-boiled these two caps and put a leather brim and a really elementary suspension inside to allow some stopping distance and absorption of impact, and that was the first industrial hard hat. And why I tell that story is because that was 100 years ago, and, and what allowed him to to understand what the workers needed, right, is that he'd always been around the miners, thanks to his father's company, and then he'd experienced something. He came back and he said, there's a problem to be solved here, and people don't even know it, um, but they're inadequately or insufficiently protected, and we can solve that problem. And then he didn't just take what he'd been wearing in the war. He understood it has to be the right protection for the application and it has to be a cost-effective solution that people will actually then wear and use. But as you can imagine, those, those first companies that had adopted the use of the hard hat, they were real pioneers. They were real safety pioneers. They were part of, you know, what we call the hard-boiled club because they were very forward-thinking in trying to protect their workers and thinking about allowing their workers the right equipment in order to allow them to go home safely at the end of the day um, in as good a condition or better as they came in. And so that's really, again, that's what fuels Bullard in general. And you can feel that people are really driven by our mission, by our vision throughout the entire organization. And we really, from uh, every single person at Bullard, thinks about the importance of the job they're doing, which is they're doing work that actually people are going to depend on to keep them safe in a hazardous environment. And so that's how we kind of experience, I would say, that whole idea of the fact that we've been in this since before it was required. So it's not just about meeting safety requirements, which, again, we're very involved in standards development processes and, and very interested in complying with standards around the world. But it's about more than that. It's about thinking about the user's actual application and watching the users and, and, and observing them, doing their work, and thinking, how can we better protect them? And we still do that today in how we solve end users' problems. I think a couple of the things I'd observe, that sort of worker-centric approach, while also being grounded in, a, in business practicality. You know, you mentioned it has to be cost-effective and it has to be part of the company culture and the fact that everybody within Bullard and I'm guessing those that are customers actually understand that balance and the desire to send everybody home at the end of the day. So that's a great tribute to the 100-plus years of Bullard and its legacy. You know, one of the things that I've observed in the manufacturing environment in Bullard's headquarters in Kentucky, Cynthia, Kentucky, correct? Yes, Cynthia, Kentucky. Yeah, is Cynthia, thank you for that correction, is the changing nature of the manufacturing workforce. And, in fact, a lot of the data that comes out of organizations like Deloitte talks about the not just the organization of work and what has shifted, but also the meaning and purpose behind it, as you were just speaking to the fact that every employee understands that what they do impacts somebody else's life. Share a little bit, if you could, about Bullard's efforts around the workforce, around its recruitment, around what I could argue is the shifting landscape of the manufacturing environment, starting with a female CEO. I, I know several of them in my network, but but diversity and inclusion is also another one of those elements that comes up in the need to keep workers safe. So share with me a little bit about Bullard's efforts in that in that area. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is, again, our job is to 
develop solutions that protect workers in hazardous environments. And so that starts right at home. So that starts in our own manufacturing environment of making sure that we have a safety-first mentality and that we're really thinking about how do we do the work that we're doing safely and that we allow our workers to go home safely at the end of the day as they work to protect people in hazardous environments. So it starts right there with that safety mindset. And as you just mentioned, diversity and inclusion is really important as you're looking at safety. So the way that I think about it is that you want to have lots of different perspectives at the table, right? And that can be, again, it can be on a gender line of of whether you're male or female, it could be about your socioeconomic background, it can be about the job that you perform, all that sort of stuff. But people come with their own perspective. And safety benefits greatly from having a lot of different perspectives. Because again, when you're thinking about safety equipment, it needs to be worn to be effective. It needs to be utilized in order to be effective. So you need to think about all of the potential users of the equipment. And so you really need to have people at the table to represent those different perspectives. Um, I think of a, of a good example that just happened in our plant a few months ago, which was a person had come in on third shift on our, on our evening shift. And the way that the, that the setup of this workspace was, um, this person was, was a little bit shorter and was a female, and it was hard for her to reach certain items at the table, and so she noticed that, like, she was extending herself a little bit, stretching a little uncomfortably in order to get some of the tools that she needed to do the work. Well, if we're all just thinking about a workstation from an average manufacturing worker or an average worker in general, we're going to miss the fact that, no, people have different length arms, they sit at different positions, the way that their bodies are, they're going to be engaging in the space in a different way. And so from a safety perspective, you really need to think about all the different people. What we wound up doing was making some parts of this workstation more flexible, where you could move bins toward you if you had shorter arms. For example, this, this shorter woman had shorter arms, and so she couldn't reach, but she could do her work safely. And so how do you build that flexibility in the manufacturing environment because you're thinking of all of these different perspectives? What I was most proud of with this particular example was that our team implemented this change almost immediately. There was an aha moment of, oh my goodness, we hadn't thought about the fact that multiple people might be in this workstation and they might have different physicality, and how do we make this flexible so that it's safe, ergonomic, comfortable for every worker who comes in? And so, again, that kind of goes to this diversity and inclusion thing is we've really got to think about what perspectives are you considering? And how do you make sure that you're including all of the different ideas? Well, then being able to come to a decision. I mean, at the end of the day, there has to be a decision. But I find that decisions are made much better when you've included a lot of different viewpoints and perspectives and you've allowed for that challenge and that discussion to come to the really best decision. Well, and as you point out, it's not just a, a gender issue, it's a height issue. <laughs> Not everyone shows up the same way. And in fact, at the, at the society, we have a lot of effort focused on, you know, the term used by NIOSH is total worker health. But looking at the whole human, you know, if somebody walks into the factory every single day, walks into the world of work every single day, and they don't stop with their individual identity as they enter into their employment role. And how do we take that into consideration? And I imagine some of that goes into 
you know, some of the product development influences, not just in how you behave, but how you behave within the factory, but also in how you consider what's going to be appropriate in the marketplace. Because I'm guessing back to the example of the workstation, products in your environment are not monolithic to a single application, correct? Absolutely not. So we spend a lot of time with our product management team and our product development team out in the field watching different people doing different work. And that's really important to how we fuel our product development pipeline and how we actually go through our product development efforts. We actually design a lot of products with end users and we iterate with end users, bringing them different different concepts based on what they've shared with us and also what we've observed and learned from others as we've been watching them. And so we try to make sure that that's a very a very broad sampling of people doing similar jobs, if you would, because they'll do them differently. And they do them differently sometimes in California than they do them in New York, and they do them differently around the world. So they might do the, do the jobs very differently in Singapore than they do them in Germany. And so we're constantly engaging with, with the actual end users around the world to make sure that we are seeing what problems they have and seeing what opportunities we have to better solve those problems for them. I think that's so important in a safety environment, and we often talk with membership and across the society as beyond compliance. You know, you mentioned at the front end Bullard being ahead of where OSHA and standards were, and standards are I often like to think OSHA and standards are the floor we should all be standing on, but that's not the reality of what happens. Its application is unique in in every single environment. Therefore, going beyond compliance towards avoiding challenges and looking at the full environment is very beneficial to sending people home at the end of the day. I totally agree, and I really like that line of the standards being the floor we should be standing on. We we completely agree with that at, at Bullard because it's about more than that. Again, the standard is just check. You need standards are super important in order to make sure that users know that what they're getting the standards that they need for their work so that they can at least have that minimum threshold. But what we think about a lot is again. Compliance is multifold, right? So there's, does it meet the standard, but then will people wear it? Again, we, we make a lot of personal protective equipment that people wear on their bodies or hold in their hands um, with our thermal imaging tools. So how do you make sure that it is comfortable? Because, again, safety equipment is only effective when it's being worn or being utilized. So how do you make sure that it interacts with all of the other equipment and tools that the worker has and make sure that it's comfortable? Because otherwise, you're going to have a situation where somebody is taking off his or her hard hat to rub his or her temples because of discomfort or something like that or wipe sweat off their brow at the exact moment where a hazard could could be present. And that's that's not good for anybody. Nobody wants you to have the safety equipment and then not be using it and therefore have a potential accident or cause potential harm to yourself. So it's got to be comfortable. It also has to be 
easy to use. Again, we're making products that people need to depend on as they're going into these hazardous environments, and so they have to know, hey, my battery is charged enough. I'm ready to go into my into my pharmaceutical manufacturing suite, and I know that my powered air purifying respirator will serve me for the shift. Or it has to be easy to put the hard hat on correctly or to adjust your fire helmet and make sure that it works well. That's really important, that ease of use. And then the third thing is, from a design perspective, again, standards shouldn't be design prohibitive. So what do people want to look like when they're on the job? And that does matter because it gives people some confidence. As you said, the total human comes to work, and the total human does the work, and then the total human goes home. And we all have visions of what our profession looks like and how we want to look and how we make sure that when we look in the mirror with all of our safety gear on, that we feel confident that we're going to be protected going into that environment and that we feel that we have the visibility we need and we have whatever we have and that we look a certain way where we're not uncomfortable walking into our environment because we're embarrassed of how it looks or something. So that actually matters too. It's the comfort, the ease of use, and the design. And really complex and important for keeping workers safe. So I'm going to shift gears for a minute, if I can, and the Turtle Club. So is the Turtle Club a yes. customer? Oh. I love the Turtle Club. Yes. So it's funny when you just mentioned club, and it's like, ah, oh, the Turtle Club. Yeah, the Turtle Club is It's an incredible. So it's, it's a club that was formed by my great-grandfather and by another gentleman in the safety world, and it's basically to celebrate anyone who's wearing any kind of hard hat if they are wearing it when something, you know, when they have an impact or something, and they survive. So if they're wearing a hard hat and they escape injury or harm because of it, they get entered in this turtle club. And we are totally agnostic as to whose hard hat you were wearing. We just want people to wear hard hats and wear them when they're facing hazards. And so anyone can be nominated, and we send you a turtle club hard hat, a pin, and a certificate just to be like, congratulations. Thank you for being safe. I mentioned earlier the opportunity that I've had to interact with female CEOs in manufacturing throughout my career, and I often think of them as the shoulders of greatness future generations will stand on. And in your case, that carries a family legacy with it. And as you think about your role as a CEO and your role as a woman leader in manufacturing, how do you think about your future with those sort of that responsibility, if I may call it. Yes, no, and I feel very, I'm in a really privileged position. I get to work for my family's company that's been around for 121 years, and I am the first uh, female CEO here as well, which, again, I just hope with regards to my being female, I hope that it's it's just a different perspective, right? And it's one of many perspectives that need to be at the table in order to make sure that we are thinking from all different angles to make the right decisions. But yeah, in terms of the responsibility, I see the responsibility as, I think it's fantastic that we're seeing more diversity in general among CEOs. It's still not where it needs to be, and I'm certain it's not where it will be. But um, there is a responsibility to make sure that I am helping others to envision themselves in this role, whether that means they're female or not, uh, but just allowing people to just see themselves in different roles. It kind of goes back to the safety discussion we were having earlier on how you make sure that diversity and inclusion are so important when you're thinking about safety because, again, people want to see themselves 
in the people that they're looking at and their role models and the people above them and the people in their organization. And so the more diversity that we have in all sorts of leadership levels, the better, because more people will be able to say, wow, that person has a similar background to me. That person's experiences are similar to me. I could be that person. I can see myself on that trajectory. And so I do see the responsibility there to make sure that I'm creating an environment that is demonstrative of the fact that there's opportunities for everybody and and there's a place for everybody. And so where do you want to see yourself? Try to find that person uh, that kind of looks like you or acts like you or feels like you and to be able to to envision yourself in that different role. So I have the, the family legacy responsibility, which, again, I see as a great privilege, but it also is a responsibility to stewards this company into future generations, but also as a woman leader. I want to make sure that this is a really great place for both male and female leaders and that Bullard is a place where lots of different people can see themselves in lots of different roles. That's wonderful and speaks to your culture and a lot of the themes that we have covered today. As we close out, I would welcome one thing that you would like to share with our listeners. I think the biggest thing for me would be find something that inspires you. Work is hard. Life is hard. There's lots of curveballs that get thrown everyone's way. But if you find something that you truly can be passionate about, it makes everything so much easier. I am 100% committed to what Bullard is doing and why we do it, which is all about allowing workers to go home safely at the end of the day. And so long days and lots of travel and being away from my family and the challenges that there are, there's made so much easier or less burdensome because I've found something that truly inspires me, and I work with people who inspire me every single day, and that's the people who are at Bullard, that's our end-user customers, our distributor partners, our suppliers, even our industry peers. I feel so lucky, and so I would just, my only advice to people would be find something that inspires you because it just, it feels so good and it makes so much so worthwhile. Well, well, thank you for all that you do, for the leadership that you have on behalf of safety professionals, and for keeping workers safe. You know, our passion is about sending everybody home at the end of the day, you know, our tagline, working together for a safer, stronger future. And I want to, I truly appreciate your insights today and your commitment to keeping workers safe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, and thank you and the American Society of Safety Professionals for allowing safety professionals to continue to learn and develop so that they can work alongside manufacturers and and other consultants and everybody to try to make workers safer and to make workplaces safer. We are very aligned in our passions there, and we're very grateful to that effort as well. Absolutely. To learn more about the American Society of Safety Professionals, visit our website at ASSP.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking time today to share the history of the hard hat as Bullard and ASSP work together to help create a safer, stronger future. Thank you for your time today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you to ASSP for all it does to keep workers safe. Thank you, and again, thanks for joining us on the WAM podcast. As a reminder, to subscribe to ASSP Safety and WAM Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. 
For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.